Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Caitlin Van Maul, host of I Survived. If you enjoy I Survived, we are excited to announce a new launch. Starting November 15th, we'll be reposting our classic episodes from season one of I Survived. We hope to reach a whole new audience with these important stories of survival. And for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, we think these powerful episodes warrant another listen. Starting November 15th, look out for those episodes and more news from I Survived. Sugar Break is the first natural non-prescription support system empowers you to reduce sugar intake and manage healthy blood sugar levels so you can well, live your best life. That's right. If you have a big sweet tooth, Sugar Break Resist is a natural minty fresh breath strip that blocks sweet tastes in foods and curbs sugar cravings on the spot. Made with an ancient herb and it reduces the activation of the reward mechanism so you can stop that sugar binge if you're like me, you get into. And for daily sugar confidence, add reduced to your routine, whether you're experiencing hormonal conditions uh, or just looking to maintain healthy blood sugar levels, try reduce. And of course, New Year's resolution is made easy with sugar break. Reach your goals without deprivation. Use powerful and tested plant ingredients, stabilize pre-meal capsules, block carb and sugar absorption as you eat up to 40%, so you don't have to go without your favorite foods, and make 2020 the year of healthy blood sugar. And I've said before that insulin levels are probably more important than we ever knew. Sugar Break products are available nationwide at Target, CVS, and hy Grocery. Go to sugarbreak.com slash drew and use code drew for 15% off your entire order. Discount code applies to any product. Again, that is sugarbreak.com slash Drew. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you all being here so much. Do check out the, the website, drdrew.com and drdrew.tv for streaming shows and uh, all the various social platforms, uh, Twitter and whatnot. We appreciate the Corolla. Uh, what, do we, what should we call the Corolla? audience the corolla faithful the corolla faithful i like that corolla faithful for uh, sticking around uh my guest today is a um frequent flyer here but i i need i need um uh, refueling from him every so often and so i has to bring him back uh gary you heard me i was like get glad back in i know i'm losing my mind what 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 is wrong with my thinking i know there's something wrong with it i seem to get that email every four months these days <laughs> Gleb Sapersky, of course, uh, his, uh, let's see, what the newest book, what's your newest book? Disaster of, wait a minute, we got the, the website, which is Disaster Avoidance Experts, and the ProTruthPledge.com, where I pledge to .org. Be, .org, I beg your pardon, ProTruthPledge.org. How do you pick that up and I something different comes out of my mouth? Uh, Twitter at Gleb Sapersky, J-L-E-B underscore T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. Uh, let's see, the book, uh, why am I missing the name of the book, Lab? What's going on? No worries. Uh, my latest one is 
returning to the office and leading hybrid and remote teams. Oh, I see it here, and I really thought that was just something. It's right there after I, newest I, book I know, in bold. I thought it was just describing you, what he, he was doing. Drew is very <laughs> like, sick right now, Gleb. He's yeah. recovering from diverticulitis, wow. and it's screwing with his brain. Wow, it really is. No worries. Uh, a manual on benchmarking the best practices for competitive advantage. Returning to the office and leading hybrid and remote teams. Oh, very interesting. And the one, I think the last one we talked about was maybe resilience, adapt, and plan for the new abnormal of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. So, Gleb, let me just open it up and just say what's what's on your mind these days. What are you thinking about? Well, my thinking is how we're dealing with Omicron, of course. That's a really big topic. And my newest book is about returning to the office, figuring that out. One of the biggest problems with our thinking about returning to the office is that folks are trying to get back to what they previously thought was, you know, get back to January 2020 and thinking that that's the way to be. And the reality, that is not the way to be. So it's a really screwed up way of thinking when many leaders and ordinary folks want to get back to January 2020, not realizing the changes, the transformations that have taken place. And there are a number of dangerous judgment errors, cognitive biases that are at play here that cause them to make these bad decisions. One of the things you you emailed me about when you wanted to get back on the show is this mass psychosis issue. And you do see some of this going on here, that people have various illusions in their heads about how to continue their life in the era where we're hopefully recovering from COVID as COVID is becoming endemic. And this is about the illusions that we need to address in people's heads. So this is the problem that I'm trying to deal with and that I think you're also trying to deal with too. Well, what I'm struggling with is that the delusions go in multiple directions and, and that we seem so prone to these. I, and I, I'm, I'm not even sure it's, I don't know, I'm not even sure it's delusion. It's for sure rigid thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you're, the, 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 let's talk about first the delusions that you're referencing right now, which is sort of that things are just okay and going to be the way they always were. Yes. So there are a number of what are called cognitive biases. And cognitive biases are, for listeners who haven't heard my conversations with you before four months ago is the dangerous judgment errors we make because of how our brains are wired our brains are not really evolved for the modern environment the modern environment has been around you know the internet has been around since 1990s right we haven't had time to evolve for it so the problem is that we are running our brains on ancient software and hardware but we're in a very different modern context and so that is the problem where we are adapted, our gut intuitions, our instincts are adapted to making decisions that are good for the ancient savanna when we were hunter-gatherers living in small tribes, not for the modern environment. And one of the biggest problems is called the status quo bias, where we want to get back to what we see as the status quo, as the situation that we perceive as good. In the ancient savanna environment, that was a good idea because if we went away from the status quo It was a very precarious environment. We were very likely to starve to death or something like that. And that wasn't good for us. So we have an intuition to go back to what we perceive as the status quo. But, of course, that's not the reality of the modern age. The modern age with the pandemic has changed our values, habits, norms, economy with the inflation, the thinking patterns that we have, the feeling patterns that we have, the anxiety that people have. 
So we can't simply try to turn back the clock to January 2020 when we are, when the COVID-19 becomes less of a problem than it is right now. And that applies to the workplace. And that's kind of my focus on business decision-making that applies to personal life, how people interact with each other, their relationships with each other. They're thinking about their own health, physical health and mental health, their relationship to their family, their loved ones. The pandemic has really fundamentally changed these things. And we need to move forward, not try to move backward as we figure out what the new normal will be. Well, I, I've, you know, watched my... I, I... I, I think a lot about this stuff and try to figure it out. And, and, I, the, and the one thing I try to understand, there's something weird going on with the sound here, Gary? Sometimes that uh, that tends to happen with the Zoom. Uh, okay. Uh, one thing I try to figure out is, is my own biases. I, I figure like at least I can take responsibility for that or at least try to be aware of it. I don't know that I can change it. And I noticed for sure uh, as this thing has gone on, I have an optimism bias, for sure, mm-hmm. uh, and it affects everything. I, I every time there's a new sort of situation, I've noticed that, that I and and sort of I notice that people people also have a pessimistic bias, and those bother me. Yes. And I started thinking, well, there's no one without any bias, right? I mean, we all have for biases sure. of all types, and, and what. Has anybody thought about what's a more adaptive or more advantageous bias? Like I thought, well, as biases go, an optimum bias is not necessarily bad. It, it keeps you, you know, emotionally engaged and present and thinking forward and not giving up. And it just it just can affect your judgment around circumstances. And that's where I have to be very, yes. very careful. But uh, am I on to anything with that? Is optimism bias a bad yeah, thing? Yes, so optimism just- bias is definitely one of the issues and it's a challenge that I experience as well. So if we think about it, the optimism bias, there are there's an optimism bias, there's a pessimism bias, and it's a spectrum. It's not a black or white. So some people are extremely optimistic, some people are moderately optimistic, some people are a little bit neutral, some people are moderately pessimistic, some people are extremely pessimistic. So it's a range, and it is definitely two of the cognitive biases that people suffer from. When you look at Americans as a population, the optimism bias definitely tends to be more prevalent than the pessimism bias. And if you look at the research, the optimism bias has some survival benefits. So people with an optimism bias tend to be less prone to depression, and they tend to be less prone to anxiety. They tend to, so there are definitely benefits to the optimism bias, except in the situation where you make decisions that are too risk prone. So Mm -hmm. think about this. We really have to be thinking about all of these things from an evolutionary background. In the evolutionary savanna environment, it was definitely beneficial for most members of a tribe to be optimistic. You know, if you weren't optimistic, you wouldn't be getting out of your cave and you wouldn't be going out to hunt and you, you wouldn't be getting meat and surviving and whatnot. But it was also beneficial for some members of the tribe to be pessimistic because they would save up for the tough times and they would kind of restrain the tribe members from doing things that are too foolish. So there's a benefit to both dynamics where you probably want some more people to be optimistic overall, but it depends on their role. So for example, you probably want lawyers to be more pessimistic than average, right? That is beneficial for lawyers. You want accountants to be more pessimistic. Now, people like you and me, people who are public figures, people who are entrepreneurial public figures, 
that it generally tends to associate with optimism uh. because you have to be pretty optimistic to go into business for yourself, <laughs> to be a thought leader, to really make the things happen and make your voice heard because people who are pessimistic would think, well, no one would listen to me. Why would I go out and, you know, share my ideas with the world? And of course they are not the ones who end up being entrepreneurs, whether thought leader entrepreneurs like you and I, or other types of entrepreneurs. So leaders you tend to find in an leaders would be more optimistic. They're people who are in a control function, like they're the second in command, let's say the chief finance officer would tend to be more pessimistic. And that's kind of a business role. And the same thing happens in life. You would tend to find many people who are optimistic, but you really want some people who are pessimistic. So for example, I'm really optimistic, but my wife is quite pessimistic. Mm. And so we had to really learn how to get along <laughs> in that dynamic because I really like, let's say, surprises. And I had to learn that she really doesn't like surprises <laughs> because my, you know, I think surprises, that's great. And she thinks surprises, that's scary. <laughs> and, and so many other things, you know, when she's, she can be, you know, Mrs. No, and just, and that's a dynamic that we had to learn to overcome. So you have to learn to overcome and you have to learn how to work with people who are pessimistic because you as an optimist, you know, if you didn't have people who are more pessimistic around you, I don't know, Gary might be more pessimistic, but if you were, didn't have people who are more optimistic, who are more pessimistic around you, you'd probably have, you know, 20 ideas. I know I have 20 ideas before breakfast and it, feel, it feels like they're all brilliant, mm. but they're not all brilliant. And it, I, I have to give my ideas, run the, them by some pessimistic people like my wife to make sure to hold my feet to the ground. It sounds like a, a perfect balance would be an op, have an optimism bias with an anxiety disorder. <laughs> if, you, if you put those two together, yes. that's sort of the right zone. But but here's where I want to go with this. You, you said that the negative people, if you were all negative, you wouldn't be getting out of your cave. Those were actually your words. Yes. But we have actually gone through a time where we were told, don't get out of our cave. And mm-hmm. people were either very upset by that or very turned on by it. Like the people were like into it. Like, yes, I want to isolate at home. And I'm guessing it's the people with the pessimism bias that found it was like a, a, a good thing. But can't it, this is the part that troubled me. It feels like the pessimism bias is what started bleeding into delusion. Uh, and I can see where a po- optimism bias would become a delusional thing as well. It's like, you know, Rome is burning. I don't see it. Where do you see it? I don't know. <laughs> but, I, but I don't feel like people with optimism bias are – let's put it this way. I, I look at myself and I go, why am I not feeling this way? Why am I not feeling so scared of this thing or terrified to the point where other people are literally – they look to me delusional with their fears. Uh, and that that's where my thinking starts. It's like, okay, well, I have an optimism bias, so that explains a little of why I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. But but the fearful folks go so far into a zone that looks – it looks disturbed. It looks like disturbed thinking. Mm-hmm. And then I worry about myself. Well, am I the disturbed thinking one? And why am I not, why am I not having more fear? And, and maybe that's mm-hmm. my delusional system operating that I should, maybe I should have more fear and it's actually you know a thought disturbance that I don't. I, how, how do you reconcile these things? This is sort of the, the zone. I'm, this is what I wanted you to help me solve. Is this is pretty much the spot? And let me just say right now what I think I see, and you, you can then attack it. It feels to me like the people that are fearful or negative bias have been driven into full hysteria by social media and panic and other things, to where they've fallen into a delusional process. 
that can't be good. Delusionality can never be good. I, I just don't see how that can ever be a good thing, much the way panic is never good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I worry about people like me who look at that and go, well, why am I not more like that? That's <laughs> really what I'm thinking. <laughs> so go ahead. Sure. I think that's a really interesting dynamic that you're identifying. And it's really good that you're introspecting about yourself. I think the key here is to think about, well, what's the reality? What's the actual likelihood that's going to happen? People who are optimistic, for example, they tended to think that uh, vaccines would solve everything, right? We'd have vaccines and everyone, so go talking about my book, Return to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, we can go back to the office, everything will be fine. Yeah. I was already talking at the early on in 2021 that we really have to be prepared for variants that might escape vaccines. Mm-hmm. And we saw that Delta already escaped some vaccines and Omicron, of course, did that some more. So clearly people who are optimistic about going back to the office, you know, returning back to their ordinary lives, made some mistakes and they made plans that did not work out, right? So being too optimistic is not a good idea in that regard. Being too pessimistic is not a good idea either in the sense that if you think, let's say you're vaccinated, you have a booster, Omicron is honestly not that dangerous to people who are vaccinated and have a booster, but you have many people who are still staying home, healthy people in their 20s and 30s who have no reason to not be to not go out well i mean if they have family members who are vulnerable that's one thing but if they don't that's you know you don't want to be too cautious there so it's a matter of looking at reality and there are definitely people like you identified who are in the extreme camp of okay i'm going to be super safe and super cautious partially it comes from public health experts so if you think of people who are public health experts what are kind of people going to public health? Of course, it tends to be people who are very pessimistic. (laughs) They tend to be people who are very risk averse. That is inherent in the people who go into public health. Why why though? Why why is that? I I agree with you. That is observationally, that's true. But why, why, why is that bias there? Because it's a natural, just like it's a natural area for accountants, to, for people who are into accounting, they are the people who are going to be pessimistic. They're going to be people who are co- looking at controlling the situation and making sure nothing goes wrong. They are very risk averse. So the risk averse professions, the control professions, of which public health, of course, is one of these professions, mm. controlling the public health, making sure that there's no screw ups, no risks, no problems. So people don't die, right? So public health naturally attracts people. That, that's who already are pessimistic. That's, a, that's a deep insight for me. I, I, get, I think you're absolutely spot on. And, and now, given that that is so, how do we manage that? <laughs> because that has its own consequences, right? That are not mm-hmm. necessarily. So, so what I'm what I'm seeing as a result of that is their risk reward analysis. You know, much you said that the that the optimism bias makes you risk prone. The pessimism mm-hmm. bias makes you risk averse. Yes, and being risk averse can have very serious adverse consequences too. Absolutely. And, and how do we manage that? That's what that's the as a, somebody with an optimism bias. I'm able to see the 
the negative bias more clearly, I guess. Is that true? Is that a general principle that if you're biased, you don't see so readily in other people? Of course. Yeah. Well, not of yeah. course. I, I don't know. I just, but, but I, I yes. see the other bias more clearly or more easily. Uh, it bothers you more. You, it you bothers me more. Why should it bother me more? Why should it, why does it bother <laughs> me more? Because it's different than you. I mean, if you think back to the tribal environment, we are predisposed to liking people who are like us, liking people who share traits, who share values, and disliking people who don't. And that the optimism bias and the pessimism bias are are opposites. <laughs> so yeah. we tend to, you know, I'm well, an but optimist, you're married to one, and yet you marry exactly. One. And so, but I, I mean, I, can't be can't be that aversive, right? Right. It's not that aversive because, of course, I like the other traits uh, yeah. of my wife. But the thing is, it's very good to work with people who have different instincts and intuitions than you. Right. It's very good to know that. Yes. So, for, like I was saying, you know, I have 20 ideas before breakfast and it feels like they're all brilliant. I had to learn to my bitter regret that yeah. they're not all brilliant. <laughs> so now the more important ones, I make sure to run by my wife and ask her for feedback. And she says, well, these are all half-baked potatoes, but maybe these three are worth finishing baking. And then she goes and she fixes their flaws. And she's great. People who are pessimistic tend to be great at improving. So if you think of people who are optimists, they're great at innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, leadership. People who are pessimists are great at managing things, at stability, at improvement and implementation. So those are different skill sets, and you need both. <laughs> that's yeah. why you want people who are optimists and pessimists to working together. And that's why you don't want public health experts to determine policy. Public health experts are good for advisors. So, for example, I'm not sure I agree with Fauci that we should always wear masks on the planes forever and ever and ever. <laughs> yeah. right. That may not be the thing to do. But it's natural that he would say, I understand where he's coming from, because he, of course, has a pessimism bias. And he is in a public health, he is the public health leader, right? In terms of the voice, at least, of thought leadership in the United States. Let, let, so, of course, yeah, he would well, have a pessimism bias. And then you have to compensate that by the kind of policy decisions you make, keeping in mind, okay, scientific advisors will always be pessimistic. Well, scientific advisors in public health roles. So you want to be looking at other people who are going to be looking at other dynamics, advisors in other roles, in economy, in social dynamics. Of course, people suffer a lot when they're locked down in the way that public health experts are kind of blind to their social dynamics, their economic dynamics, cultural dynamics. So you have to look at those other dynamics and weigh the importance of those. Yeah, it's scary to me that we, we have put the public health and the fish, officials essentially in the position of more than policymakers, almost like czars. It's very weird, you know, that, that they've <laughs> given so much power. And let me sh shine a brighter light on your comment about Fauci. I was working around him more in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic because I was deep into that. And he kept telling us, there are going to be 2 million dead. We are going to have 2 million dead, 2 million dead. Unless we do the following. And he would give us instructions, but publicly he'd just be saying, two million dead, two million dead, two million dead. They kept kept saying that. But he'd go, no, we got what he what he was telling us at the time was you need to go out and educate and we need to ed figure out ways to get people to understand what this is and change their behavior and stuff. And 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 we did it. And we and we ended up with, you know, at, at in the time frame that we were all looking at, essentially hundred and seventy five thousand deaths instead of two million. Mm. Uh, we ended up with a lot, lot more over the long term. Uh, but we learned then that you change behavior with storytelling and relatable sources mm -hmm. and humor and music. 
All of that completely abandoned in this pandemic, which I just was immediately struck by. Like, where'd that all go? An entire discipline <laughs> developed in how to change health behavior. And that we, mm-hmm. we went from this sort of technique of changing behaviors, not just delivering information, but changing behavior, which are two distinct goals, mm-hmm. to we're now in charge, follow my direction, which was a <laughs> massive change. I don't know how we got here, but anyway. Um, well, I'll give you a hint. You probably heard the phrase that power corrupts. And yeah. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah. So people who are given power tend to eventually abuse the power too much. When they are given the power to control and change things, it's very tempting. When you have power to not have to go through the hard and difficult process of behavior change. And that's my expertise. How do you change behaviors? Whether it's about hybrid and remote teams, whether it's about adapting to the pandemic, everything. How do you change behaviors effectively addressing these cognitive biases? You know, like you said, there's storytelling, all of these sorts of things that you want to be thinking about, but it's so much easier to just say, no, (laughs) you know, don't do that. I will prevent you from doing that because I have the coercive power of the state. So that is a much easier thing to do. And it's not, of course, nearly as beneficial for the long run. And it causes a lot more backlash, as we've seen on a societal level. And so that is a big, big problem. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And BetterHelp wants to tackle stigma. God knows there should be no more stigma. And yet there always is around not just treating things above the neck differently than below the neck. But actually getting therapy, people are weirdly embarrassed or resistant. You, you get trainers, you work out. I mean, why wouldn't you help your brain? And with the better help use of electronic uh, communications, there should be no barrier to getting help. I mean, we don't have to worry about meeting somebody in a waiting room. Just better help customized online therapy, video, phone, even live chat. With your therapist, these sessions are available, again, video, phone, live chat. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be master the therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. And for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners, get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is better, H-E-L-P.com slash Drew. Well, All Farm, you've heard me talk about these guys before. The, the, the All Farm sofa is so cool. Look, it's the easiest way to customize a sofa. You pick your fabric. You pick the the wood you want in the base. They have armchairs, love seats, all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, and it just arrives at your home, and it comes right together. All-form sofas are delivered directly, fast, free shipping. That's right. Look, all-form I picked out was the the eight piece sectional, and we use it like crazy. It's gray. It's got this uh, light wood base, and which I picked out online, and I could not be more thrilled. They even have a forever warranty, literally forever. And if getting a sofa without trying it sounds a little risky, you don't need to worry. You get a hundred days to decide if you want to keep it. Believe me, you will. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. All form will even send you free swatch kits if you want to see all the different colors and fabrics they offer to see what works with your style and your and your uh, in your design. 
To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Drew. That is A-L-L-F-O-R-M. It's two L's, A-L-L-F-O-R-M.com slash Drew. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Drew, a deal you do not want to miss. I think everyone knows what Audible is now. It lets you enjoy audio entertainment in one app Incredible selection of audiobooks across every every single genre. Discover exclusive Audible originals from top celebrities, renowned experts, exciting new voices as well. Audible includes thousands of podcasts. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Members also get full access to the growing selection of, of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. The Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere, and you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of listening because you can you know dual task, you can work out, drive, and you can get through a book with Audible. And don't forget that the new selections of titles makes Audible membership so much more valuable and gives every member a chance to discover new favorites, new formats like the exclusive Words Plus music series or podcast. Yes, I'm a huge fan, and here's what I want you to do. Visit audible.com slash Dr. Drew or text Dr. Drew to 500-500. That's right, audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash Dr. Drew, or then text Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W, to 500-500. Do you have any solutions? Well, I think one of the big solutions is to have strong controls that have a dynamic of preventing people into being in power uh, with absolute power. You know, if you have, let's say, imagine the situation of the earth having a benevolent God emperor, right? It it sounds great. Give power to this person who will make all the decisions, go cut for all the bureaucracy, all the BS, all the trouble setting budgets and all of this stuff and just make good decisions. But how do you know she or he will make the right decisions? That's first of all. Second of all, over time, the power will really be corruptive. So you want to make sure that there's controls on this person in charge or the people in charge. And of course, democracy allows that. But our democracy does not work very well, as we can see from all the gridlock and all the problems. Other countries have better dynamics of how democracies work. Not, I mean, if you think of it, our country was established as the real first democracy. It would be a shocker if we got it perfectly right. Mm. <laughs> you know, Interesting. back way back when in so, with the establishment of the constitution, right? So we need to not assume that we got it right. We need to make sure that we adapt to the situation and create the right behavioral, psychological incentives for the people in charge to make good decisions. That means not putting people in public health, like you said, in too much of a position of power. You want a balance of power and you want people who are making the policy decisions to not simply come from public health roles, but to come from roles where there's a social dynamic society, citizens have a way of influencing and shifting the incentives and the rewards for these people. Does your wife with her pessimism bias agree with that? Or does she have a different, yeah, I mean, a different solution? Does she like the, does she yeah, like I mean, the, this- the power and control? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to be the God Emperor, right? <laughs> well, that's how I notice most people with pessimism bias are. They they imagine <laughs> themselves in in that position. I think they kind of fantasize that that's why it's good. 
<laughs> oh, come on, Drew. I'm sure you'd love to be the God Emperor as well. I right? would I've, I've, absolutely want nothing fucking to do with that. That's the thing that's really? so, that's what's so intriguing to me is like That's interesting. I, Why not? I, I don't I don't want to tell other people how to live their lives. I want them to be free to <laughs> do it. I want to my if I were the God Emperor, I hope, I would just create the optimal environment for thriving. I would have nothing to do yeah, sure. with what, how the thriving went on. While I feel like well, that, the, that, that's the God Emperor, right? That that's your role as a God Emperor. And you would say, okay, now I'm God Emperor, now thrive. Right? Yeah, yeah. And here are the conditions for thriving. Yeah. So that's, you would want to be God Emperor. In the same way, I would want to be God Emperor. I wouldn't tell people what to do. I would want to create good conditions meaningful, fulfilling but, lives. But I'd, I'd want to be God Emperor specifically to stay out of being God Emperor. And, be, <laughs> be, because, and, and it's so weird to me. This is one of the, another one of my biases. I look at people in public health and government who are telling people how to live their lives. And it's mm-hmm. it's mysterious to me. How do you do that? What, what's wrong with mm-hmm. you? And then people that like that kind of direction or crave that direction or sort of get kind of positive reinforcement from it, they're mysterious to me. I've talked to other governors mm-hmm. and people in, in, in positions of authority who've confided to me that they don't want to do these things. It's not their job. That's not why they be kind, Governor. Tell people how to live your life. I don't tell people to wear a mask. <laughs> you should do that if that's the right thing to do. I'm a, it's not my job mm-hmm. to tell you to do it. Mm-hmm. So what bias is that, that I feel so strongly that way? I mean, you're strongly... I mean, that's a kind of personality. There's no particular <laughs> bias. Personality in, bias. But, yeah, but you know what's weird, it's, Cleb? No, it's not a, it's but, not a bias. But, wait, it's, I have, just a, it's, okay. it's just an aspect of your personality. Okay, but listen, so what's weird... So you have a libertarian... Yeah, I, I, do, so I do. I do have a libertarian streak, except I want government to solve problems. And people mm-hmm. perceive... This is the part I want you to help me with. People perceive me to be somebody that would like to tell other people how to live. Isn't that interesting? They they think that because that like, I, like I work with drug addiction and things like that, and, and that I would somehow be the, a person that enjoys. I am I have zero interest in telling other people how to live their lives. I, I want them <laughs> to thrive. I want them to do great. Mm-hmm. But but isn't that funny? And, and I and I perceive again as you said, we perceive the other biases more easily. I perceive people who have the pessimism bias, who like to be bureaucrats, who like to govern, as people who like to tell other people like to, how to live. And it's totally mysterious to me why they would like that. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me as well. I want I like creating good things for people and helping them make good decisions. Yeah. Yeah. If I was God Emperor, yeah. I'd help people think the area where I'd be focused on, I mean, besides removing area things like crime and negative conditions would be addressing these cognitive biases and helping people have an education about that. Mm. Now, if you think about people who are in policy roles in various positions, a lot of them are frustrated with problems in society, right? Mm -hmm. They go into politics partially because they feel angry, they feel frustrated, they want to solve and fix problems. And that's where they end up. And they end up in positions of power because they want to solve these problems and address these issues that they see. And so that is where their interests are. People aren't public health, you know, public health doesn't pay much money. (laughs) They don't go into public health for the money. They go into public health because they don't want to see people getting ill and dying. So what they want to do is use their influence to take steps that would prevent people from getting ill and dying, right? That's that's their interest. And they don't really pay attention to some of the negative consequences of their policies. 
and that's a problem. But we see that their intent. I think we would both agree that their intentions are good. Well, but now we of, see that they are. They do make a lot of money, extraordinary amount of money, compared to people that just go to help people one on one, where there is really no money now. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting, you know, that when you hear the salaries these public health officials are making and and their the retirement packages and stuff is just stunning, stunning how much money they make. So that that is no longer the case, apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the, no longer the case with the pandemic. But let's just prior to the pandemic, it was not the case. You want to retain people in the pandemic and this job market. But prior to the pandemic, that, that's not why they went into the field, right? That's not their motivation to get a lot of money. People go into public health for that for the reason of actually, if they wanted to make money, they go into entrepreneurship and biotech. Yeah. That's an area yes, where yes. you can make a lot right. of money. Right, that's if their primary motivation, so, primary motivation, yeah. Right. yeah. If that was their primary motivation, yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. money to be made. No, I agree with that. But so, so they're... Their reward system, they are really intending to prevent people from being ill, from dying, all of that stuff. So thinking about that and kind of trying to empathize with them and putting yourself into their shoes, they want to do that. And they're afraid, anxious about people getting sick and ill. So they're trying to take these steps. I think what they're not seeing sufficiently well is the negative consequences of their actions. And their fears. And so that... And their fears. And so that is the thing that we want to address. Yeah. And for you yourself, you are kind of not seeing that because you're optimistic and you think you probably did not think that there would be a you know, Delta variant, an Omicron variant, and you would have wanted to go life to go return back to normal a little bit faster than it really should have. So that well, let's, is... Let's, let's examine more of my bias even. Hey, Gary, can we turn the heat on in here in some way? Believe it or not, I'm suffering with this diverticulitis and it makes me chilly and oh. cold all the time. It's been really bad. It's old man disease. Um, so my bias is more, not so much on their... It, it, it kind of goes like this. I, I, from the beginning, said, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to come up with solutions and therapeutics and vaccines. We're going to get there. We're going to get there fast, and it's going to be astonishing. And it was. So mm-hmm. my, my reality assessment was sort of accurate. Now, on the, on the variant side, I, I'm, fearf- I'm afraid of pro- unexpected. I, I do understand the biology here, and I do understand something – Really nasty could get thrown at us, but the the probability of that, and some of this is probability assessments. the 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 probability of that is low enough that it's not worth destroying our lives and destroying mm-hmm. the potential of thriving. We should thrive in the meantime. Now let's let me dig in a little further, and that thriving should be um, a significant enough driving force. And I don't know how how else to say this that it's worth risking our our life for, you know what I mean? There's a certain amount of stuff in life that's worth risking survival for. I mean, people have done this forever, right? In in the, on the military side and in the savanna, you know, we went out of the cave and killed the mammoth because it was worth the risk, and and not not being willing to have some risk capacity is is paralytic. So, so again, I'm just thinking out loud here. It, it feels like two of the areas of cognitive um, influence that are – the balance is off, probably in my head too. I'm perfectly willing to accept this. But one is probability assessment, which humans are notoriously bad at. 
And exactly how we get ourselves good at that, you're going to have to explain to me because we're bad at it. Mm-hmm. And the willingness to risk our lives realistically in order to live a good life. Ah, that's it. Because leading a good life, like I always say, Jesus led a good life. Didn't last very long. But he led a good life and he had paid a big consequence. But he did lead a good life. And, and how do we get that balance right? So probabilities and leading a good life with sufficient risk that we're not heedless. Huh? It's like Aristotle, right? So how do we get that balance right? Right. So if you think about Jesus, I mean, wonderful preacher figure, savior figure, figure right? But there were so many other figures who were who are preachers who did not end up like Jesus. Right. <laughs> so if you think kind of uh, and then the well, same but, and way be fair, there, Jesus did not end up like Jesus. <laughs> he ended up dead. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like we exactly. think of him as eternal, whatever. You could think of it as you wish. But the, the, the man ended up on a cross. That's it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and he was one of, of very, very many preachers who ended up on the cross at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So in the same way that so many entrepreneurs – start companies, but very few end up like Elon Musk or yeah. Jeff Bezos, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but would we say Jesus for, was not worth the risk for Jesus? You shouldn't have done that? Well, for <laughs> him, you know what I mean? For him, well, no, he shouldn't have right. done that. But for humanity, I mean, come on, you know? Uh, right. So we, we, want, we want people like Jeff Bezos and we want people like Elon Musk and we want people like Jesus. But we have to, when we're thinking about probabilities, we also have to be thinking about, well, the, what's the probability that we individually will end up in that position? Hang on a second. Gary, Probably what are you laughing about? Are you laughing about us? Are you laughing about something unrelated, Gary? Unrelated, sorry. Okay, okay. I want to make sure we weren't getting into territory that would sound <laughs> funny to people. But go ahead. So, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. So that's so that's one dynamic for the Jews. Yeah. Now, let's get back to the you know, getting out of the cave and the risk assessment. Yeah. Now, if you think about the specific populations of people who are most risk prone the most risk prone people are young people in their young men in their teens and 20s why is that well they were the ones who were most easy to sacrifice for a tribe so they were the people who in a tribal savannah environment and later onward in wars and so on they were the people who went out and fought other tribes and who went out and fought you know the mammoths and the saber-toothed tigers. Yeah. And so... And made movies like... And and they grew grew up, evolved later to make movies like Jackass. (laughs) Right, exactly. And sometimes, and in the modern environment, the people who would have been killed off in that time weren't killed off. You might have been one of these people who would have been killed off. You know, I might have been one of these people who who would have been killed off in their teens and 20s in the savannah environment, but we weren't. So we are more optimistic and we are here in this environment that we're talking about all this stuff. So we have to remember that going, that that the tribe survived because a number of people who are more risk averse stayed in the cave and were more in a defensive position and risk averse. But but, but hang on, hang on. Let's let's make that more explicit. We needed both, as you've said at the beginning of this discussion, in order for the genes to come forward. So we needed both. Okay. Exactly. And so there will be some cases where young men in their teens and 20s who went out would have been wiped out by the other tribe or, you know, forces of nature and whatnot. And it was definitely good for the tribe to have some people remaining behind. And vice versa, sometimes they would be the ones who brought back the mammoth and they would be the heroes and they would be the ones who 
women would have wanted to sleep with and reproduce and they, you know, and they have more children. So that is the kind of dynamic that resulted in the present world, there being more optimists, but there's still being a number of pessimists and that's good. And so when you think about your position, your perspective on needing to thrive, there are going to be some people who don't need to go out of the cave to thrive, who are happy to stay at home. I, I, they, and they, or, they tell me their stories all the time and it mystifies me. Yes, I hear all right, the time. Exactly. Yeah. And from the perspective of thriving, their thriving involves staying in the cave. Yeah. And I think that's important to recognize. That is, that's, a, that's, a, that's a major insight. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's important to respect and appreciate yep. that thriving for you is different than thriving for them. Yep. So that's, I that's think, good. really a, a really important dynamic. Yep. Very, very important. I agree. And so stepping back kind of from how do you live your life and how do you thrive, we need to make sure that different people have the ability to thrive in different environments. And so that, you know, when you when you talk about things like mask wearing, right, some people, so just talking about a public impact serious issue, some people say, well, I should have the liberty to not wear masks. And that's one perspective. But of course, their liberty to not wear masks impacts other people who they breathe upon. And so that is the liberty dynamic where people who prefer to be conservative and safe that is maybe something to respect their ability to not be infected with COVID in the same way that we have banned indoor public smoking. Hey, hey let me, so let that, me ask you this. Let me ask this though. Sure. So, so my, my insight is as an optimist, I have to appreciate other people's versions of thriving that don't include going out into the, you know, kill, killing the saber tooth tiger. Um, what do they need to do to be more sensitive to my orientation? They need to be very appreciative that you are going to be more creative and entrepreneurial and you're going to be the one who goes out there and sees, well, you know, but, is the path their, their safe? Instinct, their instinct now is to put down people with optimism bias, not, not put down in many respects, cancel people with optimism bias. What, what, what's going on? And that's a problem that absolutely, just like you have an instinct that they're in the wrong, they have an instinct that you're in the wrong. So like I said, public health officials, they tend to go too far. And we should not let them simply determine I want to adjust your language a little bit. You said in the wrong, just getting it wrong. In the wrong suggests a moral, moral yes. assessment or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So they what, are, what is they, your primary, what getting, is your original language again? I forget. Uh, Russian is my original language, from, but I grew up in the United States when I, I moved here when I was 10. From so, Ukraine, yes, thank you for, Ukraine or Russia? Uh, f- from uh, Moldova, which is right there. Moldova. So, are, fortunately, are, are, not involved in the current conflict. Are, are, is Moldova <laughs> concerned about that? About the current situation? The, no, I, I was 10 when I left, so I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, do you have any people back there you talk to? I'm just curious. Because no. I've talked to Ukrainians, and Ukrainians are remarkably like, eh, whatever. They, they're like, they don't believe anything's going to happen, which is sort of surprising to me. While the, my Polish friends are like freaking out because they just see <laughs> they see things rolling towards them always, you know, from one direction or another. Sure. Um, so Moldova, not, probably not that upset about it? Probably not, but I, I have no idea. Okay. I okay. don't really keep connecting. Okay, just, just, a, just a side part. Okay. So the, the other thing, the other thing that that I wanted we assessed is probabilities. Because this is a major cognitive distortion is probabilities. Absolutely. Probabilities are a huge, huge issue. And so you can look at 
the, we, ju- we just talked about variants, right? Yeah. So again, people with an optimism bias would have not predicted the Delta variant or the Omicron variant. And that's obviously a problem for them because these are very impactful issues. So a really important dynamic for people with an optimism bias like you and I is to be a little bit more conservative than we intuitively feel and create a resilient situation. Well, hang on so a second. You, talk about you, know, you know what I've, what I've learned? I, this, the pandemic has been very educational for me. Is really, I mean, if you feel certain or hubristic, you're in trouble with an optimism yeah. bias. You know what I mean? If you that's, if you start feeling all the time, well, it's trouble on both sides. To be fair, but but especially with the optimism yes. bias, I think because because you can get really wrong when you're when you're hubristic. Yes. You know, so okay, keep going. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So I think people. So you talk about thriving, and I want to reframe that a little bit to resilience. So if you think about thriving, that's kind of one that's a very optimistic and risk-prone position. Mm. You're thriving, you're you know going out and planting all the crops and thinking everything will but, be but, fine. But, but not hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's putting a value on a certain orientation I call thriving. Right. And I'm not yes. sure that's – that's another thing. I, we're probably not going to have time to talk about, but I, as you were talking, I was thinking, huh, we, we tend to put value judgments on – these different biases, the pessimism and the optimism bias. And right now there seems to be a bigger value put upon the pessimism bias. Because of the, we're in a much more, absolutely. So society, when it's in the more endangered position, of course, puts a much higher value on risk aversion, which is an issue and that's a problem. Mm. And so when I think as someone who's optimistic, instead of, Focusing on thriving, which is intuitive for me, I focus more on resilience. So I try to calibrate my probabilities. And that helps me orient more toward, okay, what does resilience mean? Resilience means, it doesn't mean just hunkering back like a turtle in your shell. It means being prepared for problems and being able to and ready to spring back. For a solution. So if you think about what I was talking about, my book on returning to the office and leading hybrid and remote teams, that's a kind of a, a resilient position because it doesn't mean that you simply, I focus on hybrid teams and somewhat remote teams and hybrid teams. It's a very important value of hybrid teams is if there is a situation that causes problems, whether it's a spread of COVID or an environmental emergency, tornado, whatever, for earthquake, cyber war, for you to be able to go back to working in a remote setting. Well, the holidays are over, and the time to set our sights on new goals for the new year is upon us. More important than ever, guys, to support your immune system so that you remain strong, healthy, able to tackle the 2022 goals One of the biggest ways you can boost your immunity is supporting gut health. It's true. Yep, that's right. Jonathan Jacobs, a physician at UCLA, says the following, the microbe and the immune system are critically intertwined, something we now know. This means that eating the wrong things can affect your immune system. It's tough to, you know, get your diet exactly right. That's why you should think about Biome Breakthrough daily. Biome Breakthrough contains powerful probiotics and prebiotics, as well as a -a one-of-a-kind ingredient called IGY Max. IGY Max is a patented egg-based protein. It enhances gut health, reverses damage caused by antibiotics, and may help against other immune threats. I don't think I'm overstating it to say that IGY Max is a powerful immune system 
and something that will really advance the topic. By taking Biome Breakthrough daily, you will feed the good bacteria and build up immunity and hopefully repair the leaky gut. Best time to take Biome Breakthrough is first thing in the morning. Mix it in eight ounce of water and drink it on an empty stomach to experience less of the, meh, perhaps the problems with the gut flora imbalance. So what are you waiting for? Go to biomebreakthrough.com slash Drew and use Dr. Drew 10 to receive 10% off any order. You have a 365-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. That is at Biome Breakthrough, B-I-O-M-E, Breakthrough, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H, biomebreakthrough.com slash Drew. Well, AMCN, you hear me talk about them. And even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with huge deductibles, co-pays, who knows. Protect your family and your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. The unexpected can happen. An AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get a f- up to a $50 e-gift card. When you join, simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use offer code Drew. People are always looking for new ways to fund and manage healthcare expenses. Now you can try Crowd Health. It's it's. It's interesting. It's putting the community back in community health care. Unlike insurance, it's not an insurance. CrowdHealth keeps members happy, not by driving up the price. CrowdHealth helps members shop for great care at a fair price, makes payments to physicians and members as quickly as possible, and negotiates on the community's behalf. It reverses the incentives that go, got the health care system into the mess it's in right now. Right now, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. That's almost 50% off the normal price and a lot less than a high deductible health care plan. Just go to Join Crowd Health. Again, C-R-O-W-D Health. JoinCrowdHealth.com and use the promo code Drew at sign up. That is JoinCrowdHealth.com, promo code Drew. CrowdHealth, again, is not a health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Terms and conditions may apply. So, so let me let me let me let me sort of throw out a little metaphor to this. It's almost like um, food production. It's like you know the, the reason one of the reasons the Egyptians were so successful is they kept giant uh, things in reserve. So it's about balancing your balancing your. It's it's like having a diversified portfolio or something. It's just it's right. balancing it. Yeah. Yeah, not having monoculture. Yeah, that's yeah. why free free field yeah. crop rotation is something that yeah. has definitely helped people. Yeah. And that's why, for example, be, being able to plant potatoes was very helpful for peasants yeah. when they could field plant some of their fields with wheat, plant some of their fields with potatoes, and others with beans and legumes, and so on. Uh, having a diversified portfolio is very helpful because if something wipes out the potatoes, you still have wheat and so on. And similarly, you know, right now we have a stock market that's not doing so great. Definitely good to have a diversified portfolio as opposed to be all invested into cryptocurrency or something like that. Right. So that is where you want to be thinking about as an optimist. So to calibrate, it's one thing is probabilities, but an more effective way of thinking about this is to create a position of safety and resilience. So how do you actually make sure that your steps don't simply orient toward thriving, 
You're not simply walking out and saying everything will be great, but you're ready to protect yourself. Maybe take an umbrella with you, right. just using some metaphors from a day that might not be so shiny. So how do you create resilience? I think that is the fundamental thing to be thinking about for people who are optimistic. And there's a different thought model for people who are pessimistic, but for people who are optimistic, creating resilience a little bit. So that's a little bit of a different framing than thriving. Yes, yes. I think that's a really beneficial step to be thinking because resilient thriving, of course, is inherent in resilience mm. for, for a population to be resilient. It needs to thrive, but it also needs to be able to, to take the blow on the chin and then right. get back up and, and finish up. A little, I know it's a giant topic, but a little more on probability assessment. Sure. Some probability. So what you want to be thinking about is calibration. So the way to improve your probability well, d- d- is tell them what, Tell them what the problem is, how bad the problem is, sure. how bad yeah. it is. It's, we it's are bad. really bad. So yeah. <laughs> when we think, um, you know, studies show that on average, when we say we're 100% right about something, you know, we bet the car, we bet the house, we uh, only get it right about 80% of the time. And no wonder that Las Vegas gets so much money, right? Yeah, yeah. From the casinos. Yeah, even even when we're so certain, we're wrong. <laughs> even when we're right. So this <laughs> is a big, big problem for us. So this confidence and this probabilistic assessment. And let, let me just really tell you, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. And, and a phys- as a physician, that's all we do is probability assessment. You know, we're doing risk-reward analysis mm-hmm. all the time. And when I got sick with alpha COVID and I was very sick, uh, people were like, are you scared? Are you scared? You know, I was 63 years old or something. And I was like, yeah, am I scared? What a strange thing to have. I was. I thought it was the most bewildering question. because, And it wasn't my optimism bias. I, I was just like, no, my probability of hospitalization is about 10%. My probability of death is 1%. If I get hospitalized, it goes up to about 17 or 18%. So I need to make sure I stay out of the hospital. But mm-hmm. But it's... As I sit here, not likely being hospitalized, a 1% fatality rate is effectively zero, right? And people can't deal with 1%. They don't know what to do with that. Well, that's an interesting thing when you say 1% is effectively zero. You certainly don't want to be the one out of 100 who does You, you that. don't, but, if, but, so, but again, as a physician sitting there assessing things, when we tell a patient there's a 1% probability, we're telling them it's zero. We're telling them it's here. We're not going to see it. That's just what we do. And, it's just how we think. And, and it's possible. And and we watch for it, and that's our job, but we're telling the patient don't worry about it. Right. So if you have, as a physician, if you have, let's say, I don't know, a 1,000 patients, yeah. that means 10 of them will die. Yeah. Well, so on average. So just kind of like looking at the calibration and the numbers. Yeah. So it's not zero, but it's not a lot either. So you want to be thinking about that. But the interesting thing about physicians and calibrations is that physicians, when you look at the research, don't tend to be that well calibrated. Hmm. So let's say you have a test, that, and this is a lot of re- there's been a lot of research done on this. So let's say you have an illness that strikes an average one out of 10 people, and you have a test that is about oh, 80% accurate. Oh, yeah. When you have physicians who take, who have patients take the test for you know, illness A, of, and they see, okay, this person is positive for illness yeah. A, yeah. then they say, okay, yes, you have illness A, go get all the treatments. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not great. Well, but but you know how, but you know how we're, we're trained to deal with that? Because a classic situation in medicine is we're trained to make sure our clinical assessment increases the probability that that test is going to be positive. In other words, the more certain we are that the illness we're looking for is there, 
the more predictive value in the test. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I see, yes. you know, and, and so that's how we that's how we try to protect against that bias a little bit. Right. I'm, I'm sure you, you try to protect against that. But when you look at <laughs> no, physicians and how they behave, yeah, I know. how they actually know. behave, they get this wrong I know. all the well, time. And some of that is, anyway, it's a longer story. But listen, I've only got about three or four minutes with you. So, so, some, let me just so, say so, it for, so for the record. This, some of that is the system. So some of that is the system that they're just rolling through stuff and just ordering tests and not thinking. And that's the system, and that's horrible. But uh, I've got about four more minutes. Finish probability if you can. Sure. Yeah. So thinking about this. What you want to do is very much look at something called Bayesian probability. Bayesian, Bayesian probability Bayesian, Bayesian. is Bayesian. Yeah, yeah. Bayesian, thank you. Yeah. Bayesian probability. And what that does is look at the baseline probability. So yeah. the initial probability of something. Right. Like you said, you're getting COVID. What's the likelihood of getting COVID in the first place if you have a certain amount of exposure? Yeah. Then what is the likelihood of getting seriously ill and then going to the hospital and so on. So, for example, with Omicron, right now the baseline is that about 8% of the population is infected and is asymptomatic. That means that if you go into a room of 20 people, you have something like maybe 75% chance likelihood that somebody will have Omicron and not know it. And that's looking at baselines. So the critical thing for us to think about, and that's something that we're very not used to doing. As oh, yeah. Beings. So, so yeah. So black and white. So I'm I'm literally out of time, Glad, but but I, now unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I need to bring you back to have a whole talk about Bayesian reasoning because that's a, love it's, a it, that's a much bigger topic than people realize, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's it's Absolutely. and it's sound the way you described it and the way I initially came up you know came to understand it, it sounds easy. It's hard. It's hard it's to really. It's very hard to be a proper Bayesian analysis to give proper Bayesian analysis, mm-hmm. and our brain doesn't like it. It do, at least. It, well, let me ask you a quick interesting question: Who who doesn't like it more, the optimist or the pessimist? Bayesian oh, reasoning. I definitely think the optimist would not like it. That's what I thought too. That's what I yeah, think too. Yeah, the, the yeah. optimist just tends yeah. to think of you know good things happening, yeah, and yeah. the pessimist tends to think about problems and risks. And yeah, and the Bayesian the Bayesian more. shows <laughs> out those risks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. We'll we will do Gary. Listen carefully. We'll do another one Bayesian reasoning. It's, it'll be extra super boring. I promise because there's a lot of math involved. <laughs> in it. But but and it really you got to go slow to to figure out exactly what yeah. real Bayesian reasoning is. Um, but I think it's worth it. We should we should expose people. To, uh, Gary says yes. He wants to know more. So did, any, did this? Did you follow us through this? As yeah. much as I ever can with you yeah. two. You guys are. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to keep up, but right. yes, I, I, it was very interesting. Yeah, I thought this was a good Excellent. one, and, and very very pertinent to the present moment. And think about your boss, Gary. Oh, I do. Yeah, you think about his biases, right? You see it now. Uh, <laughs> not now, but. <laughs> I but, see it better. But you see what it is. You see kind of how it goes. So I, I, I lean his direction, right? But what he what he gets furious with me is when I'm going the other way, going, oh, no, 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 and he becomes enraged. Yeah, yeah. he's not not fond of those uh, – Yeah, of holding back and waiting and thinking. Anyway. Cautious, cautiousness is not what? his – Not his thing. <laughs> not his favorite. All right, Gleb. Uh, so uh, let's give, give people the particulars where you want people to go. Sure. So check out my website at disasteravoidanceexperts.com and you'll find all my books, whether it's uh, Returning to the Office and Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams or my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. 
and so on. And especially check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe for my assessment and dangerous judgment errors in the workplace and a free course on addressing these issues. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. And the protruthpledge.org is nice too because rigorous yes. honesty helps in all of this stuff we're talking about. If you can be care- Absolutely. carefully. Absolutely, the protruthpledge.org. Uh, carefully. Thank you for taking the pledge. Uh, I, I took it and I hope I'm living up to it. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. My biases uh, <laughs> prevent me from being completely the way I should be. But listen, uh, I thank Everyone. you so much and uh, we'll come back again and we'll do this. Uh, on a, 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 Gary, remind me. I'll forget, of course, the, the, the Bayesian reasoning, but that's what we'll go talk about, okay? Excellent. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye, everyone. All right, well done, and we will see you again. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Looking for shows you'll love to death? This Valencrimes Day, solve the what to watch mystery with Pluto TV. Investigate true crime series like Forensic Files and FBI Files, or serial binge classics like CSI and Narcos. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of other channels and thousands more movies and TV shows, all for free. Download the Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start watching today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.